The way we consume and share news today is it's largely rooted in social media outlets, a reason why we decided it's important to look at what's being discussed online from the hottest issues to trends for our daily social media minute. We're joined by Erica. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. It's chilly again. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what I prefer. (laughs) You know, weather is our favorite thing to take apart, blame, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Erica. Pachinko is still the talk of the town. More episodes have apparently been released. I have yet to watch a single episode, mm-hmm. but I'm on it. I'm really on it. I'm going to watch it today. But clearly, it's getting a lot of media coverage, particularly for the central role of Korean food. Yeah. An authentic depiction at that. That's right. Uh, so the show has been very successful. Yeah. A lot of people are talking about it. Yeah. And uh, the story uh, follows one family over the course of eight decades mm. from the 1930s in Busan to the 1980s in Tokyo. Mm. Um, like you mentioned, in addition to the family, food plays a central role in the story. Mm. Uh, the Busan fish markets, mm. uh, where the main character helps her family's boarders hawk seafood mm. and where she meets the intimidating fish broker, mm. Hansu. And there's a scene where Sanja's mother prepares uh, and serves a bowl of white rice with so much love and care. And that same bowl of white rice is taken for granted by her grandson decades <laughs> later. Uh, the show also, of course, features kimchi. Uh, kimchi Sanja makes with her mother yeah. and then sells in the markets of Osaka in Japan. Mm. It's food uh, that helps her family mm. uh, stay afloat. Mm. Uh, it also symbolizes love, power, and comfort as and well. And maybe how it ties in those different generations. You said eight decades of yep. one family, mm-hmm. right? I mean, uh, clearly a lot of different magazines are taking note yeah. of I, I believe the authentic depiction is something that Hollywood has only recently adopted. I remember when Kim Yoon-jin was front and center for Lost and she signed on a project and she got a little copy of a passport for her character who was also Korean mm-hmm. and it wasn't the Korean passport. It was red. That could either be Chinese yeah. or it could have been a different one as well right and so she was very upset i remember mm-hmm. in an interview saying how dare you right <laughs> we've come a long way since then i think a great deal of effort and research goes into bringing the authentic food to the screen so who's behind the research yes uh, the the person behind this intense research i no. have to say is the show's prop master ellen freund who spent years researching sourcing building menus mm-hmm. for each of the scenes mm-hmm. uh, she has apparently developed this meticulous spreadsheet of each of the scene's dishes, all the cookware that is appropriate to its time period. And she apparently read all these Korean prints from the Joseon dynasty. Uh, She really tried to capture the era's kitchens and serving traditions. She worked closely with Seoul's Food and Culture Academy to make sure every ingredient, every cooking technique, uh, and even just a bowl of rice was true to what would have been available at that moment in history. Uh, for the family uh, who is at the center of this entire story. I mean, there's so many different ways for you to watch a series or a movie, but this clearly is is a way to watch an entire, I think, series while yep. focusing on the food and the details of it. There's so much history in the show. Uh, eight decades, as you said, maybe yeah. a little bit more. <laughs> and first and foremost,
Gross. Prop master. That is a pretty cool name to have. It really is. <laughs> I would like that on my <laughs> yeah. name card. And I think we applaud her efforts because she's not Korean. And no. I would imagine that makes the process a little bit more difficult. If you don't speak Korean, it is much more difficult to go yeah. through these available manuscripts. Exactly. You know, she says she learned so much along the way yeah. from all the ingredients to the growing seasons, even to what the poor people ate, what the rich people ate at the time, the way people prepared foods, mm. the way they ate those foods, mm. how cooking vessels uh, were different from mm. one another, and how the serving dishes were different as well. Now, so the team weird. even took some of the actors out uh, to learn to make a few different things, including how to start a fire, <gasps> how to cook the rice, how to cook vegetables, and how to clean vegetables. They really wanted to make the, the entire experience believable, believable for the viewers. Uh, um, yeah. How to cook vegetables. Is there only one way to do that? I have so many <laughs> questions. How to start a fire? Do you guys know how to start a fire? I don't think anybody in a modern turn society on the really... Stove. Turn on the stove. <laughs> That's probably what most of our listeners are thinking. I wonder what was the most challenging part about this whole process and journey. It sounds like a strenuous one at that, but my guess is also making sure that everything did look as, as sublime and authentic. Yeah, that's exactly what she focused on, and yeah. that was the most challenging part, she yeah. said. And she gave a good example in her interview with Eater recently. Mm. For instance, an Asian pear is now valued for its size, mm. like those large Korean pears that are gifted during, you know, Chuseok holidays. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a pear in the 30s did not look like the pears they look like today. So oh. you really have to seek out those items and learn what they would have really looked like in the 1930s. The shape and size was yes, different. exactly. And when you're making kimchi, for example, did your head of cabbage really grow as large as what we would purchase in the market today? Uh, Probably not. So they had to seek out a bunch of different cabbages uh, that uh, slightly smaller, okay. uh, I would have to say, and uh, they trimmed it down uh, to the, the present day sizes to make sure they looked proper, <laughs> basically. See, I have so many questions like, okay, it looked authentic. Did it taste authentic? I'm, I'm thinking not because it's about how it looks on yeah. camera, right? Yeah. Shaved on the cabbage. Oh, that's such wasteful. I know, right? <laughs> uh, there wasn't a lot of meat at the time because yeah. this family was poor. Mm. There wasn't a lot of fish either. Mm. So the art team created uh, photos. They created all this food over a number of days, actually. Okay. So they had to restrict the number of items to, well, they couldn't have a variety of things on the set because they didn't have a fridge. Yeah. And they didn't want the, the actors get to get sick you know so they had to restrict the items but they had to make it look proper and authentic so that feels like yeah. a lot of loops to go over just to make it yep. look decent on camera that's and right. authentic and I think that's a serious commitment to sticking close to the history yep. books right I mean so many shows are called out for being not accurate. I know. Which I have a bone to pick with, but we'll save that for another <laughs> yep. day. Historically, people express and contextualize wealth through food, but it was also how people show their love for another. So it can really be a, a medium for a lot of different expressions. Yeah, so for Prop Master Freund, she says the food in Pachinko, more than anything, represents comfort ah, and love. There you go. Yep. I'm still stuck on Prop Master Freund. <laughs> that is so exciting. You're going to watch it tonight, so you're going to pay attention to the food, the details. Apparently, I'm going to be looking out for the food, not yep. the love line, not the story, not the heart-jerking moments, but anyhow. Yep. Did you know that one of my favorite movies of all time is Ratatouille? And what makes that show also very authentic, even though it's animated, is because they did such extensive research just like this. You're right. They created the dish in real life with, with a head chef, and they decided to draw the creation of yep. 
recreation. Of it really shows. It in does. The final right? work, right? And I tried to get reservations at that restaurant at the uh-huh. time, and it was booked months on <laughs> oh, end. I'm, I'm sure. Thought, I'm leaving the country, so bye bye. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> on to our second story this morning. Tech companies are coming up in really creative ways to lure workers back to their desks because after two years of the pandemic, they thought, I want to work from home. Yeah. So after two years of video meetings, you know, and uh, Zoom meetings. <laughs> Companies are really eager to bring back their employees back to their desks, mm-hmm. but the employees themselves are not as eager to return to work. Understandably so. Uh, so tech companies that have a lot of money uh, are rolling out the fun wagons, <laughs> but they are making it clear that uh, the workers have to come back to the office physically at least a few days a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of fight back because people figured out ways to work from home and the balance was so stellar. They thought, oh, it's great to not have commute hours. It's great to be close to my dog while yeah. I work and things like that. Let's talk about some of these creative ways these tech giants who are loaded with money coming up with uh, ways to bring back workers to the office. I'm sure they have a guest list, all of the great foods yeah. and so on. For. So, for example, when Google employees return to their rather vacant offices <laughs> this month, they were asked to rest. It's, rest! Uh, uh, Google funny. said office hours should uh, be not only productive, but also fun. Don't book those back-to-back meetings, uh-huh. they said. <laughs> also, don't forget to join Lizzo's personal show, who is one of the most popular mm. artists, pop stars yeah. in America. Yeah. And if that's not enough, the company's also planning pop-up events that include every Googler's favorite pair, food and swag. <laughs> that's the official title. Um, Qualcomm, uh, the yeah. trip maker, uh, they hosted a happy time with its chief executive. They came up with free food, drinks, t-shirts for thousands of employees at its San Diego offices. Uh, Microsoft employees, they returned to their offices back in February Mm. and uh, they were greeted with appreciation ceremonies. I don't know what they are, but uh, they also had lawn games, including life-size chess. (laughs) There were classes for spring basket making, Uh canvas painting. (laughs) The campus pub turned into a beer, wine, and mocktail garden. You get the idea. Lots of free food. Yeah, of course. Um, It's, I mean, they have all the tricks, right? They've done this before. They host massive events throughout the normal average year without the pandemic. And they just pulled out all the big guns all at once. Spending a lot of money along the way, too. And said, work can be like a carnival. That's a little misleading. (laughs) (laughs) But for the time being, it's a celebration and also recognition by profit companies that they know employees don't want to come back to work. They understand. And uh, um, it looks like companies are choosing carrots as opposed to sticks, rewarding them for coming back to work. You know, these large tech firms, they they spent billions of dollars before COVID to set up these shining offices that were full of amenities benefits. But for many employees, coming back to work after two years can be really daunting. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can't, I, I mean, we just talked about on one of our segments how commuting hours can make our life so stressful that it, it shaves off years in our life, literally. Yes. But anyway... They pulled out the big guns. People are satisfied for the time being. Yeah, they well, they seem to be. Yeah. But uh, there was a survey conducted by a professor okay. of economics at Stanford University uh, who said that these employees, they want to return to the office two or three times a week. That's fair. Yeah. Okay, so they don't want to just work from home entirely. Mm. But one third times? of them, to be sure, they never want to return to the <laughs> office and they prefer to stay remote. Okay. So it's a tricky situation for both parties. All right, there you have it. Yeah. It's probably not the last time we'll talk about it because I feel like the one third 
third will fight until their yeah. very last moment to ensure that they work from home. Uh, before we let you go, Yerika, I do want to ask about this new Soul City efforts to cool down the roads. Yeah, the weather is getting warmer. <laughs> We're getting there. So the Soul City government says it's going to start operating what they're calling cooling road systems yeah. to lower fine dust levels and road temperatures during the months from April through October. So they have these like they look like sprinklers that have yeah. been, um, you know, installed in the roads, in yeah. the center line of the road. And uh, they're going to be operated while they starting April, April 1st. Yeah, I believe they've already started yeah. operating it. And during the hottest months of the year, it's probably helpful because it will literally cool down the roads uh, and it'll probably bring down the fine dust level slightly, too. The best part about the cooling system yeah. is that uh, the, the wastewater yeah. is used, you know, oh. wastewater leaked from subway stations. So this is recycled water that's being used to, you know, do multiple mm. things. Look at that. Good job, yeah. Soul City. Checking off all the boxes. Yep. <laughs> Thank you very much, Erica. I'll Pleasure. see you tomorrow. Have a great day. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.